Welcome to So-and-So, brought to you by Bernina, made to create. I'm Meg Goodman, and you're about to enjoy a casual conversation with a special member of the sewist and quilting community. A conversation about how they got started, what inspires them, what excites them, and their connection to this community. Our guest today is Ricky Timms, the host of the Quilt Show, Let's Quilt Together, and Photo Class for You. Ricky has successfully blended several diverse creative passions into one very unique and interesting career. He's a pianist, composer, and producer, an award-winning quilter, teacher, and lecturer, a novelist, and an art photographer. His quilts have been displayed worldwide and are highly regarded as excellent examples of contemporary quilts with traditional appeal. Ricky began designing and making quilts in 1991. He was named as one of the 30 most distinguished quilters in the world. He was selected by the readers of Quilters Newsletter Magazine as the most influential person in the quilting industry and was profiled on CBS Sunday Morning. Ricky maintains an extensive international schedule of teaching and speaking engagements, presents three-day Ricky Tim's Super Quilt Seminars in select cities throughout the United States, and holds week-long La Vida Quilt Retreats at his Art Quilt Studio. Ricky is passionate about sharing his creative experience and enthusiasm, and he encourages individuals to cultivate self-expression, reach for the unreachable, and believe in the impossible. He lives in a very high and remote location in La Vida, Colorado. Ricky, welcome to So-and-So. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm excited. We have a lot to talk about. You are a busy guy, and and I want to get to all of that. But first, I want to know about how you learned to sew and how and why you began quilting. That is something that I would tell in a 45-minute concert. Uh, lecture with jokes and all kinds of stuff in between, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version today. Okay. Um, my my background is music, but I've always been a cre- I've been a creative artist, but mostly that was music. And in 1991, um, I was two stepping, and I was in St. Louis, and I was going two stepping every uh, Saturday night, and I ended up getting a sewing machine from my granny. Now my granny was 83 years old. Um, she was a widow. And she knew a fellow from her past who was 87, and he called her on the phone. Um, and she's not seen this man in like 25 years. He proposed to her over the phone. She said yes to that phone call. Oh and within two weeks, she was married to Pete. So um, so it was quite the big uh, thing in our family. We're all shaking our heads. But we had to basically sell Granny's house, get rid of her things. And she had a sewing machine that she had purchased. Um, in 1955, it was a Sears Kenmore electric sewing machine, and I tell everybody with zigzag and reverse. So it was a quite nice machine. Anyway, Granny went to be with him. My mother's trying to get rid of uh, Granny's belongings, and she called me up and asked if I wanted the sewing machine. And I said, essentially, no to the sewing machine, even though as a boy, I remember watching my Granny sew on it. But I'm a musician. I don't need a sewing machine. And I said, no. And then about a week went by, and Mom called me back and said, are you sure you don't want the machine? I've talked to everybody else. We're just going to put it in the estate sale. Well, I decided two things. One, it was in a cabinet, and I could put a lamp on it. And since I was living uh, in St. Louis, uh, you know, I was squeezing two nickels together trying to make a dime. (laughs) I could certainly use it as a piece of furniture in my little house. 
And so I said yes to that. But the other thing was um, the machine was purchased right after my granny lost her only son at the age of 16 in a car accident. And I was kind of like the, I came along after that. So she was, she and I were very bonded. And so as a result of knowing how important the sewing machine was to her, I decided I would take the machine and put it in my house. Now I'm going back to the two-stepping because I was two-stepping. I thought I can make myself a shirt. And I went to what was at the time a place called Cloth World. And I went and looked at the men's shirt patterns. And I decided that these shirts were too complicated to make, that I would look stupid if I made them. And so I gave up that idea. And literally, I was walking out the store when I went past one spinning little round rack of quilt books and quilt patterns. And it just dawned on me that I could I could make the quilt in the privacy of my home. Nobody's going to see me making it. I don't have to wear it in public. And the reason I didn't want to do the shirt is if it has all these set-in curves and collars and all of these yokes with embroidery. And I decided the quilt would be a lot easier because it was flat. Now, for a quilter to hear that phrase, we now understand that the most complicated and difficult thing about a quilt is getting it flat. But I did not know that at the time. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. the quilt had to be much easier to make than a shirt. Um, little did I know that's not true. But nonetheless, I bought some fabric. I bought the book. I'm in my own house. I don't even know quilting exists anywhere. I don't know anybody that quilts. I did not know there were shows. I did not know there were groups of quilters called quilt kills. I did not even know quilt shops existed. So I'm doing this like I'm on a desert island in my house, just putting my quilt together. And I could tell more of that story. But the truth is, I was smitten by the process. I saw it as another creative outlet. I started going into the grocery stores, you know, where they have the magazine aisle. And I would Mm -hmm. go stand in front of the popular mechanic magazines and gaze over at the craft magazines looking for the quilt (laughs) (laughs) and I would buy those quilt magazines and take them home and devour them and it wasn't long before I actually bumped into a quilter in an old Ben Franklin store we struck up a conversation she invited me to a quilt guild and as I said I could tell that story much longer but it was that moment in my life in 1991 at the accidental you know, gifting of a sewing machine that had been in the family and my uh, deciding not to make a shirt that led me on the path. And it was just nonstop from there. It, I just fell in love with quilting and probably made 27, 28 quilts my first year. Do you still have that first quilt? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, the first quilt, I always tell everybody your first quilt. I mean, some people, their first quilts are amazing, but I didn't know. I didn't know there were quilt police. So I was not abiding by any of the rules and my first quilt is it's a sampler quilt so i learned a lot about it it's hand quilted um and it's pretty pathetic in many ways the blocks were supposed to be 12 inches finished mine ranged anywhere from 11 to 13 inches and when people laugh at that i tell them just remind them that there's these two at some point because getting those measurements right is very difficult but it's it's a I wouldn't be where I was without the first quilt, so I'm not ashamed of it, and I usually display it when I'm out doing uh, my seminar. As you and I discussed before we started this conversation, um, there's beauty and imperfection in quilting. <laughs> there is so much beauty and imperfection. 
as a matter of fact, I even I teach a class called Quilting Caveman Style that is very willy-nilly, no measuring, just let it be. But I have another class that's called Primitive Patchwork. And the point of that is to purposely make those imperfections because they're charming. So I know when I know when it's important to be precise, but I also know that there's times that we can let our hair down and have just as much fun doing something that's not necessarily perfect. Are you members of quilt guilds now? I'm a member of the Colorado Quilt Council, um, which is our state uh, organization here in Colorado. And I have a, a lifetime honorary membership to the my first quilt guild in St. Louis, Missouri, which is called Thimble and Thread. Um, and so other than those two, I am not members because attending and doing what I do, I'm, I'm not a very good member because I'm so busy with the business now and the travel and the just all that I do, and I'm very remote, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Um, mm-hmm. I don't actually live mm-hmm. in Levita. I live 40-minute drive into the mountains from Levita, so I am very remote, and getting out and being able to attend a regular guild meeting, but I try to support the guilds in the ways that I can, um, and it could be by um, providing words of encouragement, or um, if there's an auction, I might be able to contribute a quilt to the, you know, to support the auction and so forth like that. And there's been times when I've been able to speak at those places as well. So, yeah, I try to do it the best I can, but it's difficult. Let's let's talk a little bit about those words of encouragement that you were talking about. Um, you teach a lot. And um, I'm curious, what do you find to be a new quilter's biggest challenges and how do you help them overcome them? You know, I do have a lot of new quilters that come across my path. And I am probably so different than any other I don't want to say any other quilt teacher, but here's my philosophy. I don't want you to be perfect at the beginning because you're not going to be perfect at the beginning. And if I try to whip you into perfection the first you know, day or week that you're trying to quilt, you're just going to be discouraged. I want you to enjoy the process and knowing that through the process, you're going to get better. It's the same with, you know, I was a piano teacher when I was a kid. Or, what, yeah, I kid actually was in college teaching piano to students. And, you know, those students are students. They're not going to be perfect. They're in the process of growing. So my thing is to encourage people just to be where you are and move through that journey in the time that it is for you. And somebody might advance quicker and somebody might advance slower. None of that's important. It's not a contest. It's do what you do and do what makes you happy. You're trying to do something that's creative. So rather than being frustrated about it, let's celebrate the things that you can do and practice the things that are more difficult um, and make the experience the best experience that it can be. Um, that's really what I'm, I'm all about. And I'm, I'll, I'll just jump into this, Meg, because it's really important to me. Making a quilt is a journey. And while you're making the quilt, life unfolds. And whatever it is in your world that is unfolding is really getting stuck inside that quilt whether it's new grandkids or whether it's an illness that came and went or whether it's a, you know, a, a struggle or a, a celebration, those things, those memories are actually stitched in the quilt. And when you look at that quilt, you're not only seeing the quilt that you made, but you're also remembering the things that you, you know, experienced in life as that quilt was unfolding. So I think that I always think that quilting is more than just making the quilt. And so it needs to be something that in the end has been a good experience. And uh, and then finally, I tell people, don't 
don't like let's say they make a really good quilt pop and they really really like it but they've not yet really gotten very good at quilting the actual quilting part of the quilt and yes they can send it out to somebody and have it done but if this is something that they're wanting to do there's a tendency to put the quilt away and say well i'm not good enough yet to do this so i'm going to set this one aside until i'm better and my question is when are you going to be better because the next quilt top you're going to be happy and you're going to be excited about. And then the next one you're going to be even better and more excited about. And you're and at some point, that quilt that you put away three years ago, five years ago, it is such an old hat, such an old thing that's way back there. You're not even interested in it anymore. So my thing is, even if you're not great at a certain thing, finish that quilt because it tells the story of where you are right now. And the likelihood of you finishing it years from now, not generally going to happen, which is why we all find grandma's quilt pops in the dresser drawers when we clean things out because they just didn't get done. You know, your your comment about as you quilt life unfolds because you don't make a quilt in a day um, is, is sounds like the journey of a, a composer. Uh, composing music, doing art. And you, Ricky, are a pianist, composer, producer, quilter, teacher, lecturer, novelist, art photographer. Let's talk about your journey, Um, how you blended all of these things, how life changed for you during this transition, and and, um, how, how do they all come together for what you do as Ricky Timms today? Okay, well, I'll dive into that by just saying you are right. I am a creative soul, and I need to create, and I am happiest when I'm creating. Um, I believe it's what I've call, I was called to do, and I do it in many ways. Music was the first thing to come along in my world as far as, um, I mean, I started playing or taking piano lessons when I was three years old. I read music before I knew the alphabet. Um, I've always, even as a young kid, I was composing music. So I'm making up music and reading music. And then I studied music. Music was my thing. But then quilting came along and, and that became a surprise for me. I had done photography in college and photography came back into my life. All of these things are creative outlets for me. And when I am on social media, I realize that my primary audience are quilters. I realize that. But I don't want to be a one-trick pony. My life is so much more broad than the quilt. So I want people to engage with me in my life. I want them to be happy and engaged with me when I'm talking about quilting, and I want them to be happy and engaged with me if it's music or photography. I want them to be Mm -hmm. also engaged with me when I'm just talking about daily life, just the Mm -hmm. fact that this happened today or that happened today. And that is the way I try to present myself to the world that it's more than just all you see is quilting because I do much more than that. Um, So I think from the standpoint of creativity, I just need to create. And I have been very fortunate to be, I'll say, hey, Rosie, it's okay. Everybody got a sweet Rosie in here today. Hello, Rosie. She's she's keeping me protected from all the the bad people that are out there. Come here, Rosie. This 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 is a family a family event here today. I like that. <laughs> well, and, and exactly, and this is what I love about. What I just told you. I mean, my life is unfolding, and there's a dog in the room, and that, and she's one of my sweethearts. So, 
I'm going to let her just continue to do her thing. But when I when I think about you know life in general, I have been really blessed to be. I I don't want to brag. I'm very I'm very talented at many different things. I have been passionate about very many things, and I have had success in a lot of things that are creative and. I, I just kind of pinch myself because not everybody can follow their passion and turn it into a career. And I've been really, really blessed that that transpired. Um, even, you know, I was a struggling musician for years, like a lot of people. Um, and I didn't expect the quilting net to catch me when I jumped into it. And life kind of changed back in the 90s when I started becoming known in this industry. But my overriding message for all of it, for all of it, whether you're in a photography class with me or if you're listening to my music through, you know, streaming social or wherever you find your streaming music, or if you're a quilter and you're taking a class from me, through all of that, the undercurrent needs to be that there's an air of positivity, of encouragement, that you can do more than you ever thought possible. I want what my legacy to be. I want it to be that I inspired people, I entertained people, and hopefully educated them along the way. So all of those elements have allowed me to do that. And that ultimately for me is what puts my head on the pillow at night and allows me to go, I'm doing what I feel like I'm called to do with the days that I've been given. So so let's let's peel that apart a little bit. One of the things that you love is photography. And you have said that quilters can become better artists through photography. How does that work? Well, so um, I would say that is true with music too. It's just that if you're going to start music late in life, it's going to be more difficult to get the, you know, to get good at it um, right away. But with photography, one of the things that I love about photography, well, I'm going to put all this together for a moment and then I'll spin it out into photography. My music, my quilting, and my photography are all the same. If I was a, a, a dance choreographer, it's all the same. If you're putting together a novel like I did with my co-author Kat Bowser, it's all the same. There has to be ebb and flow. There has to be line. There has to be movement. There has to be something that pushes the, the person that's engaging with this through the thing. So as music unfolds, it's got these different elements and there's a line that take you on a journey. There's chordal progressions that put you into uh, to moods. And when I go to quilting, it's the same thing. And in photography, all of the artful um, composition devices and elements and principles of organization, all of these things come together in all artistic mediums. So with a photographer, with a, in my photography, I want to think like an artist and I want to compose. It's, it's photography is not just raising your camera and shooting. I mean, we do that every day with our smartphones and all of that, and that's fine. But with just a few tips and tricks, you can go from just shooting average, ordinary, who really cares about this photo, to photos that are breathtaking just because you thought through the process. and. Because a photo is taken in a millisecond, and yes, some of them can be taken over the course of you know seconds, but primarily mm -hmm. when you snap the shutter, it's just a it's a moment that's captured in time, and that moment can be beautifully pre presented 
and you can learn what you did right and what you did wrong, and you can evaluate and you can study and what should I have done better and so forth. But if you're making a quilt, that might be you know anywhere from a day to a week to a month to a year of a journey on one artistic endeavor. So my mm-hmm. photography allows me to do multiple compositions and think differently, and I can do it anywhere in the world. I can do it on an airplane. I can do it in the office. I can do it walking down the street. I can do it anywhere in the world because the best place to take a picture is where you are right this moment, and you can truly create amazing art in the room you're at right now, on the back porch, in the alley. It doesn't matter. If you learn how to see, you're going to create beautiful art. And so that's why photography has been one of my biggest passions and why I encourage even my quilting family, you know, extended family, to be a part of my photography classes is because they're going to see their world with new eyes and they will never see it the same again. It's impossible. Once we start going through, you know, the times of day and how light touches this or how shadows fall on that and how to compose this one thing, you're looking through that viewfinder sorry i'm getting very passionate about all this but it's it's the thing that gets me excited when i hear a student say i took your course and i truly and i'm the husband of a quilter and she encouraged me to take this class and i do not see my world the same as i did before i started this course and that's beautiful that's wonderful that you see things around you with new eyes and so i love the fact that photography can be much done much quicker yes there's a lot of technical things to learn through the whole process but in the end you can become a better artist in other areas by using photography as one of those main disciplines it's really great i love it i want to highlight something you said that's if you learn how to see you can create beautiful art and i'm sure that transcends a lot of different mediums it, 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 that's my that's my point. the The realm of art is so broad, and um, you know, even to the point of you you might set your table for a, a, a holiday celebration differently because of the way you started taking photography. It, it it just flows into so many things when you learn to see, and it doesn't happen instantly. But I do have students that have surpassed me. I've watched them start with a a camera that they bought, it was expensive. It was something that oh, I can make better photos if I buy a more expensive camera. And it, it's like the, the famous photographer that went to a you know, fancy dinner party and the lady greeted him at the door and said, oh, I'm so happy that you're here. I love your photography. You must have a very expensive camera. And he you know, kind of shrugs and comes on into the evening and then the evening's over and they've had the dinner party. And she goes, well, I hope everybody had a good time. He says, mom, goodness, the meal was wonderful tonight. You must have a very expensive oven. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, it's not, I mean, yes, yes. So, I mean, so students will buy these nice cameras and it's not going to be the camera that's going to make them the better photographer. It's going to be what they have in their head, what they know in their head, how they see it, how they expose it, how they frame it. All of those things is what makes it better. And I look at some of my students that started with, I have a camera that I only have on point and shoot. And then they, they end up after a year or two and I'm watching their work and going, this is, I mean, it's National Geographic. It is fine art. It is 
beautiful to see what the students do whenever they started, not even knowing what shutter speed and aperture and ISO are. It's pretty exciting. Now, I'd like to to turn a little bit and talk about one of your other talents, which is that you are a novelist. Uh, You mentioned your co-author. And you have written a Lizzie Albright novel um, that was inspired by a depression area quilt um, that uh, is pretty special to you. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So um, my my good friend, many, many years, Kat Bowser, who is also an amazing singer and vocalist, and, uh, and we've known each other and performed together many, many years. And she's the one that came up with the idea. She said, let's know the names of quilt blocks like um, Sun Bonnet Sioux or, or uh, Bear Paw or Goose Tracks or Flying Geese or uh, Shoe Fly or, you know, Drunkard's Pass. She said, those all sound like fun things that could be in a story. And maybe we could do a an endeavor where we write this sort of children's story. And it's perhaps a grandmother and a granddaughter. And Lizzie would be the granddaughter. And Lizzie learns the names of these blocks that sparks her imagination. And there's in the, there's a bear in the story, and there's a goose in the story, or you know there's courthouse steps in the story, or something that relates to the quilt block. And so at first, this this idea sat dormant for ten to twelve years. We thought it would be a children's book, like a picture book for really young kids. In the end, without telling you the whole evolution, it became a full fledged young, young adult slash middle grade novel you know, 90,000 words, 352 pages type thing of a story about a little girl uh, who is 10 years old on Christmas Eve, 1964. For the quilting demographic, many people can relate to 1964. And today's young kids that might be 10 years old, they may not can relate to 1964, but they can relate to smart devices and steampunk and things that are kind of hit. Well, in Lizzie's world at home, she's very much uh, in that 64 realm of aluminum Christmas trees, beehive hairdos, station wagons mm-hmm. with rear-facing seats, juicy fruit chewing gum. I mean, just Aquanet hairspray, those kinds of things. And uh, But in the fantasy world where she goes to, it's a little bit of Wizard of Oz, uh, like Dorothy went somewhere. Lizzie ends up going somewhere, and the world that she goes to is filled with just animals that talk. There's a bear, there's a goose, there's all these critters there's even a critter that's uh, half bat and half kangaroo and um really fun stuff but there's you know there's the there's the good people and then there's the bad evil sorceress and uh there's the danger that's lurking in all of all of this and many many twists and turns as we make it to the end of the story um but it's just so fun to see how the quilt that lizzie discovered is her grandmother's quilt that her grandmother made during the Great Depression. And as Lizzie learns these blocks and she ends up sleeping under the quilt, um, by sleeping under the quilt is where our story begins. So the quilt, the interesting thing about the quilt in this story, the, the story of Lizzie Albright and the attic window is not about the quilt. Um, I think about the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz is not about a tornado, but the tornado was the vehicle that got Lizzie, uh, sorry, that got Dorothy from the farm to Oz. And in our story, the quilt is the vehicle 
that gets Lizzie from the little Kansas town of Cordelia to the land of Allaire where our story takes place. And in Lizzie's world, our story takes 24 hours, literally from Christmas Eve morning to Christmas Day morning. But in the world of Allaire, when we read that story, it spans over 163 years. Very, a very interesting literary concept. And your book is called Liz, Lizzie Albright and the Attic Window? Attic Window, yes. Because the, the quilt blocks are set in what's called the Attic Window setting. And Lindy, Lizzie discovers the quilt in the attic. And she actually goes through the attic window to get to the land of Allaire. So therein lies the, the premise. And I haven't spoiled anything by telling the readers that. <laughs> Good job. Good job on that. Um, <laughs> d- d- going to something completely different, I found this really interesting. You are a self-professed raven lunatic, and I don't believe we're talking about the football team. <laughs> so, so tell us about this. It's, this is fascinating. Oh my gosh, and I don't want to tell too much or people think that I've really lost it and I'm a madman and a crazy guy, but I probably am. <laughs> um, I, you know, when I moved to Southern Colorado, and that's a whole other journey of leaving St. Louis and getting to Colorado, but I love being in this area of Southern Colorado. It's a very spiritual area. It's very The, the great Southwest is, has a, a, an ancientness that permeates, a, a spirit that permeates, that, that I connect with. And I'm being honest, some people may not, but I connected with it way back in college when I went to Santa Fe, New Mexico to, to ski. And I went, wow, this just feels different. Well, anyway, there's there's all of these things about totems and what's your spirit side and those kinds of things. And of course, I move here and I like bears. So I'm oh, bear will be my thing. I'm going to have, but you don't choose your spirit totem. So I'm just, you know, collecting bears as a quirk. But without going into literally another hour of story, the raven is what made itself present to me and made itself present as I was leaving town, coming back into town. I would be setting out on my property, which at the time only had a small cabin and a teepee, both of which burned in the fire in 2018. But nonetheless, I would be out there and the ravens, they would talk to me. And I know that sounds weird. I don't know what they said. They weren't like telling me a story. I just could tell that they were mocking me or they were they were doing something that was obvious. I remember playing my flute one time, which is a Native American flute, and I, you know, you play your because it's a wind instrument. You play a phrase, you expend your breath, and then you have to take a breath to take the next phrase to play the next phrase. And when I would take my breath, the raven would respond, and I would play another phrase, and I would take a breath, and the raven would respond. Um, there was a time when I was painting my teepee that a raven was outside just making the biggest ruckus. Just, I went to look outside and the raven was just on the wind, not doing anything, just, just lingering in the air, but making noise. And I had already designed a quilt called Raven and the Wind. I had already created a piece of music called Raven and the Wind. And I was painting the raven on my teepee. And I had a raven, and I had a horse, and I had a bear on the teepee. And as I continued to paint, I wasn't satisfied, and the raven stayed outside making all this noise. I went out three times to just go, I don't know what you want, I don't know what you're saying, and I don't know why you're not leaving, but you're up in the air. And it wasn't flying, it was just gliding, letting the wind do its thing. I went back 
to the TP and look at it. And I thought, you know, as an artist, what I really need to do is connect these things. They look like little cookie cutters right now. The bear is here, the raven is there, and the horse is over there. I need to connect them. So I took the, the wind that was kind of connected to the raven, and I ended up extending it so it swirled around the other uh, figure. And it connected and tied everything together. And then the raven was gone. It was as if the raven was saying, look, you made the raven in the wind. You did the raven in the wind. Well, you did the raven in. I'm up here on the wind. You need to paint the wind. Now, I did not hear the raven say, go paint the wind. But some connection got me. I'm telling you this story. I get people are going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't care. The raven anyway, was persistent. <laughs> I, the raven was persistent. I painted the wind and I was happy. So uh, my house is called the Rookery. I have ravens everywhere. I never see a raven that I don't say hello to it. And the raven is very much connected with um, creativity. It's part of the legendary stories up in the Pacific Northwest and up in Alaska. But the raven is the one that helped bring the sun into the sky. There was a little bit of a trickery uh, in that story. And it's a beautiful, beautiful creation story. But without going into it, I'll just tell you that the raven is associated with creation. And that's ultimately, I went, oh, my God, that's who I am. I am a creator. That's why I'm most happy. I need to bring something from nothing into something. And that's what the raven did. And so once I saw that correlation, it didn't surprise me that the raven and I connected somehow. Now, in telling your story, um, you alluded to where you live. And you were born and grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, you spent a lot of time in St. Louis. And now you live in a very remote town in Colorado. How did you end up there? And why, why there? I had quadruple heart bypass surgery at the age of 44 in the year 2000 while I was in St. Louis. It was a little bit of a wake-up call because I was doing quilting, and I realized I could live anywhere I wanted to live and do my quilting job. And I had always wanted to be in the mountains. And it's like, nobody's going to put me in the mountains. Nobody's going to say, you know, I'm going to take you to the mountains. I, I wanted to live in the mountains, so I picked up and I moved to Denver. And I spent some time looking for some land. And I found the land near Levita. It's 40 minutes away from Levita. So it was the land, actually, that drew me to the this area. And I, and I do mean it just like that. I really do feel that from birth to when I discovered the land, that something was directing and calling me. I mean, all the balls were rolling that direction, even though there were stops with I lived for a spell in Waco, Texas. I lived uh, in St. Louis for a while. I lived in Arvada, which is outside of Denver for a while. But then ultimately I found this place that just sets with my soul very well. And I hope that I can be here through the rest of my days. Um, COVID has certainly made a, a big change in my world. But, uh, you know, no seminars and no hand-dyed fabrics that I normally do. That has been a real struggle. Um, but nonetheless, I'm where I want to be, and I hope I can stay here for many, many Ricky, what's next for you? What's your dream? Well, <laughs> I want to create. Um, I would certainly like to, I, I, I'd like to pay off my debts. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a great thing. 
Uh, sure. You know, I, I, it's really funny. People, I, I've had very, very good success in the quilting industry as a personality, but I have to tell people that didn't always translate into dollars. And so, you know, I have a house on the mountain, <clears throat> but it, I'm not rich enough to have paid for it outright. I have a mortgage like everybody else. And uh, so my goal is to just keep going. I just want to create and keep. I, as long as I'm creating my art, whether it's music, clipping, photography, or whatever else might come along, and I'm able to sustain myself with that um, and inspire, encourage, and teach other people and entertain them, all of those things are really, they just don't change. I look at the big picture. I know who I am, what I want to do. And if I can do those things till the day I die, then that's really it. I don't know if there's anything that's next. Um, I didn't expect to write a novel. I know that I want to write a sequel to that novel, but it takes time. Time is my life word. Time drives every decision. And carpe diem is kind of my life phrase where it's like, don't pass up a moment. Don't let it go by. If it's just presented itself to you, don't say later. Don't say someday. Now is the moment and embrace that at this moment. And those are the things that I live by. So I don't see a big new goal. It's just continuing with the thing that I believe in. And that's really where my future lies. We've talked about a lot of things today, many, many things. Is there any question I didn't ask you that you wish I had? Honestly, no. I mean, I, I like talking about these things. I like sharing my story. Um, I, the answer is no, Meg. I mean, uh, I, I just like sharing my story. I, I, I know that I'm on the spotlight here and I'm the guy that you're talking to. But in the end, I'm back to the, the thing that I always say. It's the, the inspiration of the people that are listening and that they, you know, whatever problems they have, they can overcome. And that if it's a dark day, it can be a bright day. And we wouldn't have bright days without dark days. And I get very philosophical about that. Um, I really do want people to know that they can accomplish more than they ever, ever thought possible. Um, and I see it happening all the time. But I also know when I'm doing like quilt retreats here at my space in La Vida, um, we talk about things in the morning and we, we don't just make quilts. We talk about the creative journey. We talk about the demons that, that come upon us and they could be voices in our head that were said by a school teacher or a parent whenever we were mm -hmm. young. So we don't believe in ourselves and we always second doubt ourselves and we don't think we're worthy of this or worthy of that because of something that was said when we were young. So I have different ways of trying to combat those kinds of thoughts and try my best to bring people into the reality that they can do, they can accomplish, they, they are worthy and they have value. And that's me. That's just where I come from. Um, my, my courses always have an undercurrent of motivational, inspirational aspect because it's not just about making the quilt or taking the picture. It's just not. Mm -hmm. it, it, life is what we live, which is, again, back to why I don't want visually and publicly and social media just to be the quilting guy. It's about life. I want people to connect with me and my life because I am more than making a quilt. Now, if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you to continue this dialogue, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Number one, I would encourage people to be on my newsletter, and that's at rickytems.com. There's a newsletter uh, option to go get the general newsletter and opt into that. So I give a, a weekly newsletter that stays out there. If they want to find me on social media, I'm Ricky Tims, R-I-C-K-Y-T-I-M-S. I'm a one, one M last name um, on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, all those places. Um, if they want to go uh, to do photography, they'll go to photoclassforyou.com. If they want to take quilt classes from me, they can do that at letsquilttogether.com. And as you mentioned, I am the co-host of the television show online, uh, which is The Quilt Show, um, and that is thequiltshow.com. There are so many outlets that people can connect with me, um, and almost all of those, there's a con- all of those, there's a contact us form so they could reach out and if it goes through an administrative person before it gets to me, it generally gets to me. I try to respond to just about everybody that sends a message. Well, make sure that they tell you that um, they heard you on the podcast and they're reaching out to you because of that. That's that's the quick way to get to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited that uh, you you know you invited me to share my my life and vision. I've told my quilt story numerous times. I still think it's it's fun to hear and. Even though I've told it a million times, a lot of people don't know the background of an old sewing machine that came into my world and ended up changing my life. That's a, that's a wonderful story. And Ricky, this has been a terrific conversation. And I want to thank you so very much for sharing your story with us today. I'm very happy to have done it and uh, hope that everybody listening um, finds some value in the time that they spent with us today. Well, there you have it. Another story about someone just like you someone for whom sewing and quilting is so much more than a hobby. It's a way of life. It's a connection to something bigger. If you know someone you think has an outstanding story, a story that should be shared on this podcast, please drop me a note to info at soandsopodcast.com or just complete the form on our website. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and visit our website soandsopodcast.com for more information about today's and all of our guests. That's S-E-W-A-N-D-S-O podcast.com. And finally, I want to thank Bernina for making this program possible. I'm Meg Goodman, and I look forward to you joining us next time on So-and-So.